0: Radio Gag, the gays against guns show. You better gag, yo.
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the gays against Gun show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I am your host, Ty Kersley. This week, culture change, a week without gun violence. Well, at least in the United Kingdom. If you didn't know, the UK does not have a gun violence problem like we do, but the UK has another uniquely specific health crisis that has many similarities. I caught up with an old friend from Scotland, Julie Roberts, who is now an activist and has made a difference through spreading awareness of mesothelioma, a cancer linked to occupational asbestos exposure. Sean Stefanik brings us the gun violence prevention news, but first, the In Memoriam.
0: In remembrance of Christine Michael, 16 years old, February 10, 2023, Brownsville, Tennessee. Christine Michael, a high school junior and beloved high school class president, was fatally shot while on her way home from a basketball game while riding as a rear passenger in a vehicle with three other teens. Another teen was also injured. Since then, authorities have arrested two teenage suspects in connection to the alleged shooting. They robbed me of my child, Christine's mother, Tiffany Michael, told reporters. They took my baby. I'll never get to see her walk the line. I'll never see her accomplish all the things that she started from day one when she put her feet on this earth, she said. Tiffany Michael says before she died, her her daughter helped identify one of the alleged shooters. When the incident was going on, she was texting, so she identified one of the people, said Michael. Christine Michaels' high school principal remembered her as a straight-A student who embodied everything you want in a student, but more importantly, you could see her soul. It was perfect. The public library Michael worked at part-time is also honoring her memory. The community has been asked to write their thoughts on memorial butterflies that will be given to her family, the Alma Ross Public Library. In addition to being class president, she was also at the top of her class, participated in various activities, and was on track to complete her associate's degree prior to graduating high school. Hayward High School Principal Brittany Event had told us. We remember you, Christine Michael. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, pals and gals, gags and drags. With Radio Gag, I'm Sean Stefanik, and coming to you from thetrace.org, it looks like our friends at the NRA are in some more trouble again. But, you know, this isn't the kind of trouble, like, the kind that they lied about, you know, when they were trying to dodge our fearless leader, Letitia Tish James, lawsuit against them by saying that they were bankrupt. Anyway, no. It turns out their membership rate is at an all-time low, as they have lost up to one million members recently, as referenced by a new financial document. Five months after the Sandy Hook shooting, Wayne LaPierre declared the organization must be and will be 10 million strong. I don't think so, sweetie. For much of the last decade, membership levels hovered at around 5 million or just above it. And in April of 2021, there was a deposition in which LaPierre placed the NRA membership at just shy of 4.9 million. And at a following January NRA board meeting, LaPierre gave a figure of about $4.3 which would be a 12% drop in just a year and a half. A surge in gun purchasing during the pandemic, which under other circumstances may have resulted in a membership windfall, coincided with a period of scandal for the group. In 2020, the aforementioned New York Attorney General Letitia Tish James did, in fact, bring a lawsuit against the NRA that had alleged that LaPierre and others looted NRA assets for their own benefit in violation of nonprofit laws. The gun group's contraction is also evident in the number of members donating to its political action committee, according to an analysis that the trace did from the Federal Elections Commission filings. Roughly 5,400 members contributed more than 200 to the NRA's Political Victory Fund in 2022, but that's a nearly 45% decline from the numbers who donated in 2018 and a more than 40% drop from the ones in 2020 who donated. This collapse in donor support has also taken place with the Democratic president pushing for stricter gun laws, a dynamic that typically boosts the NRA's political operation and bottom line. However, there is someone who does seem to have some kind of an opinion for what's going on here. They have destroyed the NRA brand. They have lost credibility, said dissident NRA board member Phil Journey, who also does happen to be a LaPierre critic. In our society, firearms ownership is expanding, and these new gun owners are not joining the NRA, and it's because of the brand, Journey said. He said that they have destroyed the brand. He also said that the NRA will surely continue to decline under this current leadership, which still has the full support of the nonprofit's board of directors. There is no corrective action going on here, he said. Well, maybe not. And perhaps a, a decline in membership's not going to do much to stop gun violence, per se, but it can say something about whether or not they have their claws in any politicians up for buy. We shall see. With Radio Gag, I'm Sean Stefanik.
1: You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show, here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. If you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. I spent the last week on holiday in the UK, I was stationed there 20 years ago for four years, and I've always loved comparing our cultures. But this trip, I couldn't stop thinking, wow, no one gets shot here. A problem solved decades ago. There was a significant culture change after the mass shooting in Dunblane Primary School in Scotland back in March of 1996, where a shooter killed 16 students, a teacher, and injured 15 others. My friend Julie is a survivor of another deadly health crisis that has been allowed to get out of control, and she shares her story and activism.
2: Um, but let's start. So, welcome, Julie, to Radio Gag.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, actually. I hope you can uh, understand my accent.
2: No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We have an Irish producer. Um...
3: <laughs> That's not going to help. <laughs> So, um,
2: but the one thing I want to talk about is, you know, several years ago, you uh, started championing a campaign uh, in Scotland, and it was something that we don't have a problem with in America. I mean, we we did, but it wasn't handled the same way. And I want to parallel that with the gun violence issue, because obviously, if I'm speaking to someone who lives in the UK, uh, gun violence, uh, daily gun violence. Um, like all of the mass shootings, we have all of the kinds of suicides because of guns, all that isn't affected by your culture, but you still have the same political fights. So go ahead and, and let me know the beginning of, of how you decided, wait, this is my fight.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, uh, as you said, I'm from Scotland and in 2015, uh, my dad was diagnosed with a type of cancer called mesothelioma and Um, we, nobody in our family had heard of it, uh, anybody that we had spoken to outside of our family had never heard of it. It was almost like this, you know, I mean, hardly anybody could even pronounce it, let alone understand what it was, you know, because it's got this crazy name. And then we were a little bit unlucky, um, a little bit unfortunate. And four weeks after my dad was diagnosed, my uncle was diagnosed with the exact same thing. So I was thinking this is really, really odd. Um, uh, and all we knew at that point is it is a terminal cancer caused by exposure to asbestos. They had contracted it at work. Both of them worked in the um construction trade. So my dad was a joiner, my uncle was a plumber, and then it's a terminal illness. I mean, you you die uh and it's typically less than 12 months survival rate. So from yeah. part of the diagnosis, yeah, I mean it was gone, they were gone. Like within eight months, both of them were gone. Uh, my uncle died first and then um, my dad died six weeks after him. So for that year we just kind of got through what we had to get through and that, and that was it. And it wasn't until the kind of dust settled about a year later I started to um, do some research into it because once I'd kind of got over, well not got over, but once I'd come to terms with what had happened I started to wonder about why nobody had heard of this cancer and that you know there is no it, it, it's such a aggressive cancer um there are I, I mean you cannot survive it you know you die from it if you're diagnosed but you die from it you die quickly and, and it's a terribly horrible horrible death to, awful to witness and I was thinking about it and it didn't there was something missing I just didn't understand why nobody had heard of it why there was no research into it why i mean in scotland you know as i went into research it and understand it more it's excluded from cancer waiting times so if something is excluded from cancer waiting times there's no appetite for um a local health service to to effectively see you or treat you you're just kind of like you go into a little pot to say well you know we're not going to get marked down because you've been diagnosed with diagnosed with mesothelioma we don't have to push you through to be screened for or to go for chemo or anything like that because it's excluded from cancer waiting times and that didn't seem right to me mm-hmm. every other type of cancer when i looked into it you know breast cancer uh skin cancer lung cancer everything else all part of cancer waiting times so it was just odd i mean that just was, but was that's so just angry.
2: the service though right that like there's still a waiting time for for everyone but it they have found a way not to provide health care to one particular cancer
3: exactly exactly and then when i went on to research it even more i discovered alarming things like the uk has the highest rate of mesothelioma in the world not just in the uk not just in europe in the world i mean you can google this if you don't believe me this is this is absolute statement of fact the highest rates in the world we have um uh in the uk a big uh, or we did historically have a big industrial um sort of shipping we were a big industrial sort of shipping nation manufacturing nation um and produced an awful lot of things with asbestos in it which again made me think oh why if you know you know with all due respect like my dad and my uncle were diagnosed with a cancer that wasn't caused by a lifestyle factor it was caused by exposure to asbestos at work and people need to be held accountable for that you know? So um in this in the Scottish um in Scotland we have a devolved power, which means we have a parliament that works in isolation of Westminster in England. And we have devolved power for um uh, healthcare, education, justice, all sorts of other things. Uh, and when I was looking into the healthcare side of things in relation to what happened to my dad, they had the government, Scottish government, have brought out this new cancer strategy, and in it they were immensely proud of the fact that they um, were able to treat all two hundred known cancers in Scotland um, within a three-year period. All, all this kind of rhetoric stuff, and I was like, well, that isn't, you know, that isn't true. And then when I went through the document, I was like, well, let's see what these two hundred cancers are. No sign, no mention of mesothelioma. And I was like, well, there's something does not add up here. Like, how could we have the highest rate in the world at the most concentrated rates in Scotland? And how could this not be mentioned in this government's, you know, cancer strategy, you know, this public health policy? I was like, that isn't like there is something fundamentally wrong. Uh, And the more I scratched the surface, the more I went and spoke to um, politicians up in Hollywood and Scotland, the more it was like, oh, nobody wants to talk about asbestos. We don't, nobody will talk to you about that. And I was like, well, why not? Uh, And uh, basically, once I got into the crux of the argument, asbestos is in every public building in the UK built before the year 2000. So it was only made illegal in the UK in the late 90s. And it's in every public building. So if you think, you know, public buildings in the UK, hospitals, museums, libraries, government buildings, uh, Westminster, the uh, Palace, Buckingham Palace, they are all riddled with schools, every school, unless it's a modern school that's been built after 1990 schools, it is literally everywhere and is a public health disaster for the United Kingdom Uh, and there is a group of um, a a, uh, charity in the UK called Mesothelioma UK they are the official charity for anybody diagnosed with mesothelioma in the UK and I sort of joined forces with them uh, so again just to make things a little bit more complicated because Scotland has devolved power for health the situation in England is actually different they actually Act faster if you're diagnosed with mesothelioma, which you know is even more of a, a sort of paradox because then it's like, well, all right, I've got evidence to say, you know, England do it better than we do. So why aren't we at least benchmarking ourselves against England or treating people the same way? But it, it literally you are um left to die. Uh there's lots of reasons for it. The government obviously it would cost them hundreds and thousands and millions of pounds to remove asbestos from all of the public buildings in the UK hundreds and thousands so they just don't want to engage they keep it quiet because they know that not only would it cost them money to take it out of all these public buildings the you know if you have a diagnosis of mesothelioma and you're able to audit or prove who you worked for during a period of your life then insurance companies have to out your life insurance it's another reason why nobody wants to engage in it because life's cheap right like nobody wants to pay out and take responsibility for this you know disease that they've this fatal and horrible disease that they've that they've caused so um yeah i'm (laughs)
2: saying that the rest of the world does not have this problem but america is in the same boat not any other country certainly not elected Hmm. um uh, democracy has weapons of war in, you know, their civilian population. And I, and I told you this last night, we have more guns than people. Um, and, yeah. you know, all the things that have locked us into this uphill battle uh, yeah. and that most Americans don't even know how difficult it is or how um, their safety is so at risk because there is no rules for training or accountability for a product yeah. that is specifically meant to kill. So it's the exact same scenario that you were in. What did you do to kind of make a difference or change?
3: Yeah, so I, um, in a sort of weird um, sort of tangent, my number one issue was that, right, I need to let other families know that, you know, if if you've had a dad that's worked in construction, you know, you need to be looking out for these signs because the earlier you catch it, Although you cannot survive it, you can you can get you can go and get treatment, you know, quicker, which might allow you to live a little bit longer. So I actually reached out to a local football club in Edinburgh. Um, because I knew that the demographic of people like the dads that worked in construction would go and watch football every week I certainly did with my dad so I come from a marketing background so I had my marketing kind of hat on thinking right I need to go and get in front of these people that come into these stadiums every week to warn them like if you've worked in construction and you develop you know a cough or you lose weight or whatever then you could be at risk of having misleoma go and get checked out So the club, the football club were amazing. They helped me make a short video all about my story of what happened to my dad, which they then put out. So this is a national football team in Scotland. So they've got national reach. So they did me an enormous favor because when this video went out, it just blew up, right? So they pushed it out to all their social channels. It went onto their YouTube channel. It is still the second most watched video ever in the club's history. Life with Hibs, Julie's story. So Life with Hibs is the football team. So Life with Hibs is the story of my life going to the football with my dad, so life with Hibbs, and it's my and my story. Um, and off the back of that film going out, it, it received so much attention that the football club called me the following day after 24 hours to say that somebody at Hollywood, which is our parliament here in Scotland, had seen the video and they they had asked to meet me. So one of our politicians, she was the leader of the Scottish Labour Party. Um she asked to see me she said she she hadn't heard of it she wanted to know more about it um and could I meet with her at the um at the Scottish Parliament which is what I then went to do and she asked me to tell her you know a little bit about asbestos um why it's dangerous what I think was important um and then off the back of that it just snowballed I asked she you know she said well, I want to help you what can I do to help you and I said well you know I didn't expect to be offered a you know a sort of leg up if you like into the political field but that's certainly where i would always want to get to and i said i think we need to have a a conversation with the right people around the table and i think the government need to respond you know they've made this wild statement on their cancer strategy that they um claim to treat all 200 known cancers in scotland and that is not true that that needs to be changed you know they need to accept responsibility and accountability that that is not true um it is blatantly missing the word from the cancer strategy so new mesothelioma so i would like an opportunity for the government to to you know be held to task on that so this politician then said great we'll have a roundtable discussion could i get 25 stakeholders around the table so uh, at that point i am I had no idea who to go to. I didn't know, you know, I had just done this video to warn other people. I didn't think I was going to then have to go and find, you know, some stakeholders from industry, from from charity. And the great thing about, you know, any cause is that when you find people with a um, a similar agenda as yourself, a similar passion, a similar drive, And you come together to create one voice, you can you can move mountains and that that's what happened. I just went and did research. I went and spoke to my dad's doctors and I said, the the Scottish Parliament have asked me to put together a list of people because they want to have a roundtable conversation at the parliament. Who should be at that table? And straight away, there was like 20 names given to me. So for every name I went to, they gave me another 20 names. And before I knew I had a table of 25 people ready to go to sit and engage in a debate in the Scottish Parliament um which is kind of which is, lo- is lobbying off the back of that round table this politician she was called Kezia Dugdale at the time she was the leader of the Scottish Labour Party so it's about as high up as you could get you know um so we have the first minister in Scotland who is like the prime minister of Scotland and so she's her shadow you know so she's in the opposite um political party so can call on her the first minister to make you know response on behalf of government so after we'd had that roundtable discussion, the um, the politician Kezia Dugdale, she put a motion before Parliament. So she was able to say, I've done enough research, I've spoken to enough key stakeholders within in this discipline of industrial related disease and um, cancer. Uh, and I now am calling for the Scottish government to hold a formal debate in the chamber and they have to. Um, respond on their position as to why they have said that you know this cancer strategy this uh, word is missing this cancer is missing from the cancer strategy they have to justify their position so that motion goes before all parties in the Scottish Parliament so we have five you know parties we have the SNP Scottish Nationalist Party Labour Conservative the Green Party and the Lib Dems Liberal Democrats and you're looking for all of those parties to back the motion, or at the very least you need three for it to then go to the debate, and if it doesn't get backing by everybody, it doesn't go to debate, and it just, the motion passes, that's it. However, within the first 48 hours, every party had backed the motion. Every party in the Parliament in the, had backed motion, which was, I mean, you, it's the stuff of dreams. And on the 21st of December 2016, Amazing. we had the debate in the Parliament, the, the Cabinet Secretary for Health had to represent the Scottish Government, she had to stand up and give her position on why this uh, cancer strategy existed, why why mesothelioma was missing, um, and then the opposition parties have a chance to then ask her questions and to engage the engage in debate backwards and forwards, so they get a chance to you know question her and really screw her down as to you know um why it was missing in the first place. And great, so you've admitted it's missing. What are you going to do now to make sure that you know? that cancer is brought through and that it is added to cancer waiting times and what are you going to do about the fact that asbestos is riddled in in all the schools like and there are enormous lobby groups in england teacher lobby groups doctor lobby groups there's lots of teachers that lose their lives through mesotheliomas in the uk um
2: how long have they been around
3: oh a long time like um
2: they just didn't have a political push at all
3: no no they didn't And and this was the thing that was interesting with my story is that so many people had said to me it's amazing that you've been able to raise it to the level that you have because lots of people have come before you and tried to do it and they weren't able and I think what the difference between me was that I was able to tell my story about my dad and that's what really made people sit up because people it's a story that everybody can relate to it is the it is the story of of loss and grief and the, the life changing impact that that has on you. You know, I lost my dad at twenty. I was uh, twenty. I wasn't twenty. <laughs> I, lost my dad. I wish I was. No, I wasn't. I lost my dad when I was thirty six. Uh, my niece was five. Like it changed everything. About you know, and you never come out of grief. Once you lose somebody, changes your life forever. You will You know, you can you can learn to live and deal with it in a different way. And I was able to articulate that story. I think the, the, the video that the football club made helped because it, it was a lovely way to, to talk about what my life was like. I was extremely close to my dad. That was our thing. We went to the football. We had season tickets, you know. Um, and I, that story connected with, with many, many other people right. that were fighting that that cause. Um,
2: so these are very, very similar stories. So I'm glad uh, I had you on for it. And... Anytime I can think of any other reason to have you on the radio, I'm going to call up and, and have you back, okay?
3: You have me back anytime you like. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you.
2: All right. Thanks again. Go ahead and tell me some uh, the other way people can find out more about uh, your work and, and uh, your, your video with the... Um,
3: oh, yeah. Thing. So if you... Yeah, if you wanted to watch the video, it's just, if you go onto uh, YouTube and just type in life with Hibs, so it's H-I-B-S, and then Julie's story, and it will come up, it'll be like the top video. Um, we have a Scottish uh, mesothelioma network, which was set up, it's funded by two charities, but I've been heavily involved in setting that charity up here in Scotland for of its kind. Um, if you wanted to find out more about that it's the scottish mesothelioma uh, Mesothelioma network.org you can have a little look there and then mesothelioma uk.com are the national charity for anybody in the uk diagnosed with with meso so we all work together anyway so it's it's great yeah yeah
2: Yeah. it it sounds exactly what i spend not my work life doing but the other part of my other job and uh, you're
3: doing good work you're doing good work ty you
2: thanks you too you're, you're a superstar in, in, in Scotland. No. So I, I'm, I'm glad to show you off. <laughs> so,
3: oh, bless you. Well, well I'll, I'll see, I'll you, see you soon.
1: To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or GagNoGuns on Twitter. Also, go to our Human Beings Facebook page for a more personal look at gun violence victims and their stories also be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com reminder all are welcome to come to gag meetings well it is time to end our show don't forget you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the wbai website or on any major podcast platform have a great and safe day